hello and welcome to another episode of the Political State Podcast from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder. Today's Friday, February 22nd. The state legislative session continues to move on. We're kind of nearing some deadlines for some bills in committee, and so bills are starting to make their way out of committees, out of uh, each chamber, and onto the other side. And uh, here to, uh, who knows a little bit about that, our guest this week is uh, Representative John Eccles, who is the majority floor leader, represents District 90, which includes, we're actually just talking about this, quite a, quite a wide area of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma County, parts of Cleveland County. And uh, Representative, uh, thanks for your time and welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to, uh, to talk with you for a while. I, lo- I love listening to the podcast, listen to it all the years you've done it, so it's cool to be on. Well, well welcome and, and thanks for listening. So, um, so I introduced you as majority floor leader. So let's just start off. What is a majority floor leader? So the House of Representatives, you have the Speaker of the House, who is, uh, for lack of a better word, the CEO of the House of Representatives. He's, he's in charge of everything. Uh, he, then you have the uh, budget chairman, which in this case is Kevin Wallace. He's in charge for fiscal policy for the House. And then you have the House Majority Floor Leader, which is myself. We do um, the policy side. So mm-hmm. I do everything from assigning bills to committee. Uh, I actually make up the committee. Speaker chair, pe- speaker chooses chairs and vice chairs. He makes up the committee. I decide which bills hit the floor, which which committees they go to. Probably the most controversial thing I do is I decide parking spaces and offices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. People go crazy over those, but uh, but yeah. So I I make the day to day activities of the house run. And how how much of that is involving you know uh, you know whip counts and votes and kind of pushing through bills? I mean, how much are you involved in that part of this? Well, yeah, I'm very involved in that. So you obviously in leadership. I mean, I work directly underneath the speaker. Um, my job is to effectuate the caucus's agenda. Mm-hmm. So the things we want to get accomplished. I have a majority whip, and I say I have the, the speaker has a majority whip. Terry O'Donnell out of Tulsa does a great job. He does our official whips. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I've done for this speaker, and, and I've done this for past speakers too, is is try to help put deals together. Mm-hmm. I mean, try to, what is it that we want to accomplish? What are our policy objectives? How do I help us get to that 51 vote threshold? Then when we really need to get over the top on the whips, that's where Terry comes in. Okay, <laughs> okay. Really yeah. helps push those over the edge. So how would you, how would you kind of describe your, your leadership style, your deal-making style? What's, you know, when you're, when you're behind the scenes meeting with members? What's well, a good interview. I've never been asked yeah. that. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I, I would like to think that I'm a consensus builder. I mean, that, that's my goal. I, I hope I'm known as somebody who's, number one, honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, the key, all you, all you can trade in in that building is your integrity. When you lose your honesty, when nobody trusts you anymore, you're worthless. You're, you can't do anything anymore. So what I try to do is uh, I'm always looking for compromise. I've, I've actually said there are some people that don't want me to carry their bills because I listen to the other side. Yeah. I'm not a railroad guy. Uh, I try to bring people down. And I believe, I've said this before, I believe in win-win scenarios. Mm -hmm. I believe that uh, for me to win, you don't have to lose. And I take that into every negotiation. I'm doing my best to create good policy for the state of Oklahoma, but understand that good policy normally is a result of compromise. Everybody that comes up to that capital... They have an agenda, and there's nothing wrong with that. We we all have an agenda. We're all mm-hmm. we're all by by our own by our own experiences, have our own biases. But I think one of the things that's made me a successful deal maker is the ability to see the other person's side, even if I disagree. Mm-hmm. But to be able to see why they think that, go to the root of the problem. What is it they want to accomplish, 
and then figure out how we can help everybody accomplish what they want to accomplish. Yeah. Are, are there times where maybe, you know, the deal making, the compromise part, you know, doesn't work as well, where you have to be, maybe be a little tougher? You have to be the bad guy a little bit? <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. I'm so glad you point that out. Yeah, it is. I mean, you, you, you always want to make sure you don't go so far with the principle of compromise. You compromise your principles. You always, and then, yeah, sometimes your job is to say no. And that, as the majority floor leader, I, I, I jokingly say my job is telling everyone some variation of no. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody gets exactly what they want. And sometimes you need a hammer to just put the foot down and say, we're just, we're not going to do this. And I think anyone that's negotiated with me will tell you that uh, I can do that. I've been yeah. known to do that, but that's not my go-to. I mean, my go-to is how does everybody work out together? But I don't think anybody would say I'm a pushover. Yeah. You know, it, it, one of one of your roles seems to also be, you know, there's oftentimes where you seem to be speaking for the speaker. What I mean by that is there's issues that come up. I mean, as a member of the media, sometimes I'll be deferred to you. Now, part of that's because you're involved in the policy. You know, you've, you're, you're involved in the negotiation table, so you might as well be speaking for this issue. Um, but how did you how do you get that kind of role to first off, is that an accurate you know description? Um, and then what does that mean to kind of be representing leadership, representing representing the speaker's office? Well, I think uh, I do think oftentimes a lot of the messaging comes to me. A lot of the messaging I. I do that, and, and first, the, the speaker and I are incredibly close. I mean, Charles McCall and I came in together. We were in the same freshman class. We actually sat beside each other uh, in the very back left of the chamber, okay. the very back <laughs> yeah. one. We got to know each other, became very good friends, uh, sat by each other the next year. And then when he ran for speaker, um, obviously, I mean, I was very supportive. Uh, I'd like to think I was helpful to him in that run. I would like to think I've kind of one of my skill sets um, – is that ability to sometimes communicate positions. I don't have an issue communicating positions. I don't have an issue uh, being out front and, and trying to see what we want to accomplish. I think what Speaker McCall brings, uh, which is why we're a very good, t- in my opinion, we're a very mm-hmm. good team. Speaker McCall is, is far more steady in the boat than I am. Speaker McCall has a uh, very dignified way about him, um, which makes you want to follow him, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I mean, I, I describe him as just a consummate gentleman. Uh, I, on the other hand, am a trial lawyer who turned into an entrepreneur. I got no problem making a decision. Yeah. I got no problem pulling the trigger. Um, and, and I like people. That's the other thing. Not, not that, and, and he does too. But, but I enjoy conversations. I enjoy getting to meet new people. And I'm excited for that opportunity. It has kind of fallen on me to be the voice of the caucus a lot. Yeah. Let me, so I'm going to tell you something, uh, one thing that I've, I've often, you know, mentally, I don't know if I've ever told this to anybody, but kind of mentally how I've kind of referred to, or you in something, it's called the Eccles Shrug. So here's what the Eccles Shrug is. If <laughs> I I will, so I'm, I'm up in the press gallery, you know, looking down at the House floor. And there's a debate going on. You've got, you know, most of the chamber seats are Republicans who have the majority and you've got the Democrats. And, you know, sometimes they can get kind of heated and contentious. And, um, you know, the members aren't supposed to debate at each other, but they often do. So you might have a Democrat member who's who's, uh, you know, debating with a Republican member and the Republican member says something and the Democrats frustrated and and they look at you and they kind of give you this kind of like shrug, like, come on, man, like what's your what's your your caucus doing? Not not to say that you're sympathetic to what the Democrats are saying, but there, one that tells me there is a little bit of a relationship between you and, and the other side. That they feel like they can you know kind of make that eye contact with you. And it's they're kind of like, you know, just expressing this frustration, looking at you. And often your response from up in the gallery appears to be kind of like, I know not that you're agreeing with them, but like, I, like, I get it. I know. Like, let, you know, like, it's just. <laughs> 
part of, you know part of the deal. Um, anyways, I just I don't really have a question with that, but it's just an observation. <laughs> well, it's it, it's actually very true though. So I don't run the. Uh, you've noticed this. Well, I am majority floor leader, and I could. I don't take the microphone very often during the the actual day to day running of the house. I let John Pfeiffer and Dustin Roberts do that, and they do an excellent mm-hmm. job. Because and part of the reason I do that is because when I take the microphone, I want it to mean something. Mm-hmm. I, I want it to be we're moving more where where I want to be able to take the microphone when I feel like things have gotten out of line. And you've you've probably seen me. There, there. <laughs> I may use that. I get that shrug all yeah. the time. It's kind of like Eccles fix it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and 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 it, when it gets to the step that that I actually take the microphone and do something about it, that's me saying, all right, guys, everybody, because it gets heated on the floor. Mm-hmm. I have to have that ability to to um, have the respect of both sides, and I do think I have the respect of the Democrats. They certainly have my respect. They do a great job. Uh, I have to have the respect of both sides to be able to go to my party and to go to the other party and go, come on, man, that's too far. Like, come on, we, we don't act this way. We don't. It's also important with that that I keep my decorum, which is not easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you got to do a good job, but that that does make me feel good, and I see that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Another thing, just my my from my vantage point, looking down. Um, you, so you have a phone in your desk, right? Is oh, that yeah. right? Okay. Now, is that common? Does everyone have a phone? Or I haven't seen that everywhere. And I just, I wanted to, I, <laughs> I, I noticed, I've noticed that and I wanted to ask you never, it's never been the most important thing to ask you. It's still not. But I just, you, so you've got a phone in your desk. What's that phone for? I, I do. So uh, installed in my desk, that's one of the benefits of being floor leader. So we actually have four phones okay. on the floor um, and I get to put them where I think they need to go. One of, one of the things I do is I set the floor seating chart. Um, like I said, the speaker is the CEO. He is in charge. Let's be, I work for the speaker. Everything I do at the end of the day, um, I, I, I carry the orders the speaker tells me to carry out. Mm-hmm. That's the other great thing about our relationship, though. I mean, Charles McCall knows I have his back always. But uh, I have a phone. Uh, Leader Virgin has a phone. Um, Representative Sanders has a phone. And then John Pfeiffer and Dustin Roberts have a phone. If I'm on that phone, I'm normally talking to one of four people. My parliamentarian, mm-hmm. C.J. Cavan, who does a great job. Uh, I can call the person in the chair, uh, Harold Wright, normally, or whoever's mm-hmm. in there. Oftentimes, I'm talking directly to the speaker, so he's back in his office. Or I may call over to talk to David Perryman or Emily Virgin and mm-hmm. say, hey, it's it's that opportunity to have conversations on there. Because sometimes when things get really, let's say things get really, really tense, mm-hmm. and let's say both sides are out of line. Sometimes my, my first gut is not to stand up and make a big deal about it, is to pick up the phone and call Leader Virgin and say, hey, I won't say any names, but, but <laughs> hey, calm down, Representative so-and-so, and I'm going to go walk back and calm down you know, my representative, and let's all move on and move mm-hmm. together, or, or maybe call Leader Perryman. And then sometimes it's the speaker calling me and saying, um, we're in more communication than I think people even realize. We're, we're in lockstep. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm going somewhere... It's the direction Charles McCall wants to go. If Charles McCall's going somewhere, that's the direction I'm following. So we're that that's just one more communication tool. So it's uh <laughs> but it's been int- I didn't even know that existed before I was floor okay. leader. I've also got this cool thing on my computer I want to show you sometime when you were down there. I can see so you you've seen I this this year, I didn't used to, but this year I have that laptop I keep down there all mm-hmm. the time. Like it's always on my mm-hmm. desk. Number one, I don't think anyone will steal it because it's like the world's original laptop. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the thing's worth fifty bucks. But I can actually see on my computer what the speaker, the current speaker, meaning Harold Wright, Speaker Pro Tem, I can see what they're looking at. Hmm. So I know how many people are in the queue. So I know how many people are, you know, going for debate. You know, sometimes that's 
important, even when you see us do things like shut down questions, sometimes you may see me walk over to David Perryman mm-hmm. and then walk up to the speaker's dais. I'm const- I may be communicating, hey, David, we've been doing this for an hour. Or, hey, hey, Leader Perryman, we've been doing this for an hour. We're going to shut down some questions. You, you go tell your members to go hop in the queue if they want in, mm-hmm. go to the dais. My job is not so much to um, – is not so much, yeah, it's picking which bills, but not just running the day-to-day, more running the things that make it run smooth, mm-hmm. that make it run. And that requires relationships. Yeah. And that requires trust, not agreement. There's a big difference between agreement and trust. They don't have to agree with what I'm doing, but, boy, they got to trust me. When I say this is what we're going to do, then then they know what's going to happen. Yeah. What's that like this year with so many new members? <laughs> it's, uh, it's great in that you get a lot of uh, new perspectives. It, the toughest part is they just don't know the process. So you spend a lot of time helping them. How do you strike title? You know, what's stuff I take for granted? We're going to have four weeks of uh, committee. This is a committee deadline week. Next week, you have no Mm -hmm. more committees. They've never done that. So we have 47 new members that really need that help. The exciting part is this group, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you from the Democrats to the Republicans, all of the House, they are here to make a difference. And, man, they are not afraid to tackle some hard issues. Oftentimes, freshman classes come in kind of scared. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't really want to do anything. Man, not this group. I mean, they're ready to go to work. And that, that part's been cool. Other thing is, too, you know, Ben, we've talked about this. We might as well talk about it now. The last two years were just awful. I mean, they were just awful. And, and I think one of the things we learned in those last two years is the constant fighting. All that does is make everybody look bad. If you're the governor fighting with the legislature, if the House fighting with the Senate, or if you're the Democrats fighting with the Republicans, we just all look bad. We've got a new, we've got an opportunity to set a new tone. And you hear me talk about that almost every time, about getting along and working together and giving credit to everybody, not saying anything negative. We got 47 new members. If we would show them a better way, maybe that'll be the new norm. Maybe we got an opportunity to leave all that old stuff behind. So that, to me, is what's most exciting. Yeah, you're right. You mean, talk about the challenges of the last couple of years. And, um, you know, re- Republicans have the majority. So Republicans kind of are, you know, are the face of, right. of the good or the bad. They're not coming out of the Capitol. So after, you know, after a couple of, of really rough years, you know, you had, a, you had a governor that was leaving office that had low approval ratings. There was a lot of voter frustration. You saw some, you know, members lose their seats, um, you know, especially in the primary. So there was kind of this... Uh, this this idea that you know the Republicans are really taking on the chin, and there's there's this change or the, there's this like shift towards moderation. How would you assess that? Because a lot of people talk about it. I'm curious what your take was. What it, what did the elections mean of last year, and how is the body different this year than maybe how it was the last couple of years? One of the things that's interesting in the Republican caucus grew. Yeah, this yeah. Is the, when everybody thought that there was kind of this shift towards the Republicans weren't taking on the chin, we have 77 members. That's more Republicans than we've had in the history of the state. We had Republicans uh, taken out in primaries, and I think they were taken out because people believed they weren't part of the solution. But then if you go to the ballot, every Republican uh, won big in, the, in, their, in their elections. I mean, I, Speaker won with an incredibly large margin. I won by almost 20 points. Kevin Wallace ran by almost tw- won by almost 25 points. And then you had two Democrat incumbents get taken out in the general I think what the citizens told us is kind of a pox on all your houses. We're, we're sick of it. We're sick of you not being part of the solution. And if you had somebody like me who could run on my record and say, 
Let me tell you how I was part of the solution. Let me tell you how, how I did compromise. And you may not have liked the way I did it, but let me tell you why I did what I did. I didn't go say, well, I was just no on everything. Whether you were a Democrat or Republican, that was a really hard position in this election cycle. Defending that I, I used to say we had an opportunity last election cycle to do things we could never do again because the citizens wanted brave action. They wanted they wanted fixes. Now, I think what I hope we're learning, too, um, I'm, I know I keep harping on it, but I'm going to keep harping, it, harping on it. Citizens want a functional government. They're sick of the fighting. When, when I'm on TV, if I am fighting with leader version, we both look bad. Or if I'm fighting, I mean, I felt like I, I, I felt like I was going to battle every day. I went to session last year, felt like I was battling with the Senate. I felt like I was battling with the governor. felt like I was battling with the, with the Democrats. And, and we all wear the same jersey. We're all Oklahomans. It shouldn't be like that. I should be in there going in there with teammates. They have different views on how to get there. This this year feels, feels totally different. Like Governor Stitt has some real agenda items he wants to push, but he's been working with us to get these done. Uh, leader Pro Tem Treat over in the Senate, Leader David, who we work with, uh, Chairman Thompson. I can't say enough great things about those people. Do we agree on everything? Absolutely not. But they're great to deal with. They care about the state. We're not fighting. We're working together. Leader Virgin, Leader Perryman over on the Democrat side in the House you know, David Perryman and I have now started having weekly meetings. Hey, that's on me. We probably should have done that earlier. But we're having them now. It's made a big difference in our relationship because we're actually able to work together. We're actually able to move forward. I'm not asking a Democrat to become a Republican or a Republican to become a Democrat. I just want to move Oklahoma forward. I yeah. want to move those things. And I think it's made a difference. Yeah. Well, let's, well, let's dig in a little bit to some of those policy issues and, and some of the, the big challenges you're trying to overcome. But let me ask you a question about, you know, one one issue that's moving through right now. So the permitless carry yeah. bill you authored. So this is uh, just to catch everyone up. This is you, you don't need a um, you don't need a permit yeah. to, to carry a gun, which is currently the case in about 15 other yeah. states. And those residents from those states are allowed to carry a weapon without a permit in Oklahoma. Yeah. So this extends that now to Oklahoma citizens. So there are some that are thinking, now, don't get me wrong, uh, you know, Oklahoma's a pro-gun state. So in many camps, most of the, most corners of the state, this is a popular item. For the others on the left might be saying, okay, there's this talk about let's handle solutions. So why is expansion of gun rights one of the first things that's coming out right now? Absolutely. So, no, that's a great question. So what, what we're dealing with, so we'll look at this permitless carry bill versus the permitless carry bill that was vetoed by the governor last year. Mm-hmm. This first time I've carried one, it became very clear with Governor Stitt saying he was going to sign it. There was going to be an appetite in the legislature to do it. And with Governor Stitt saying clearly early on in the campaign trail, this is what he's going to do. Uh, permanent carry, permitless carries coming down the pike. So I filed one to make sure we could have the very best permitless carry bill we could have or constitutional carry bill. Uh, this bill um, uh, it increases protections for private property owners, makes carrying where you're not supposed to carry a trespassing, so a misdemeanor. Um, it uh, helps police officers by making it clear they had the ability to ask someone if they were carrying. There was some, some gray area under the law before that. And it, and it actually made it clear this does not extend to campus carry. This doesn't extend to where you can carry. And the other cool thing to report is on Monday, we are, have another agreement with the city of uh, Tulsa, the city of Oklahoma City, uh, the NRA, and OK2A. Leader David and I are going to be running a bill making it clear that you can concealed carry in city parks, but you can't open carry in city parks. Well, that's a big deal for the gathering place and Scissortail right down the mm-hmm. road. 
So we've really, yeah, there's been some expansion of gun rights, and I do think Oklahomans are for that, and I, I'm proud that's my bill, very happy it's my bill. But we've been able to do even that in a very in, in, a, in a very unifying way, in a way where we brought everybody to the table and we said, this is going to happen, this is the direction we're going to go, how do we make it the best bill possible? I'm pretty proud with how many people we got together. So if you're going to do that, you just do it. You've already decided you're going to do it. You do it. You do it quickly. Mm-hmm. But we've also passed out of the House, you know, teacher pay raise. Yeah. We passed Unity Bill, 788 out of committee. There's been some serious policy reforms have come through, too. Yeah. How's, how's the budget, budget discussion shaping up? I mean, usually that's kind of something that gets done near the end. It takes kind of all session to get done. So we're still early on. But, uh, you know, what do you feel like the you know the budget discussions, how are those going? I feel like they're going really well. I know Chairman Wallace and uh, Chairman Thompson are already meeting together. They're already meeting with the governor. I'm not in every one of those conversations. I kind of he, kind of hear the secondary. I think we're in agreement on on um, on priorities. Uh, I think the governor probably would like to put a little more money back in savings than maybe the House or the Senate would. But that being said, the governor makes a very strong point for that. That if we would put Oklahoma on strong economic footing, we'd stop having these highs and lows. So. Where that might not have been our gut reaction, the House is listening. Um, I think the Senate is listening, too, and I think he's leading on it the right way. I also think that there's a desire to continue the progress of what we've done in education. Um, I've had great talks with Pro Tim Treat. I know we're both wanting to find ways to do teacher pay raise and some money to the classroom. Uh, We do have limited dollars. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can only spend a dollar once. But we're going to have extra money to do these things. So I feel like the budget's going well. On, on the education funding piece, there's a lot of educators during the walkout. That was their focus, more money into the formula. Any idea of what you think that that number might end up being? I, it's really too early. I mean, that's, that's a very fair question, but it's too early for me to say that. I mean, I've uh, it's too early for me to know for sure what mm-hmm. that will be. I do think those numbers are going to start coming out more and more, and I'll let the kind of the budget chairs – Kevin Wallace doesn't like it when I nail him down on numbers. (laughs) Understand He's always like, I don't nail you down on policy. So, um, but I do know, here's what I know. I know the House is committed to find a way to get some money into the funding formula. And I have every reason to believe the Senate is committed to. This is a new day. And it's so weird because those of us that have grown up in the old days where, you know, the House had a priority and the Senate had a priority and the governor had a priority. And sometimes I felt like the only thing the priorities have in common is as long as the other chamber didn't want it, they were mm-hmm. for it. Man, it's a new day. I mean, we're talking together in, in the ways that we never have. So I'm hoping this is going to translate into a good budget where we can all get together and be proud of that final product. Yeah, I know you're you're consumed with what's happened on the House side, but uh, I'm curious, what do you think about the uh, uh, Medicaid expansion-esque bill that was passed by the Senate out of committee last week that basically takes the Medicaid expansion funds and puts it towards Insure Oklahoma? It, well, it's a, and it's a, there's an important distinction between what the bill that bill did and true Medicaid expansion. Yeah. True Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act is expanding Medicaid to able-bodied adults. I mean, that's mostly who it is, because we're already a Medicaid expansion state. A lot of people don't know that. We already are under a waiver. We cover more people than we're required. Really, all that's left is able-bodied working adults. What that bill that Greg McCourt, Senator McCourtney and, Senator, and Representative McIntyre in the House, mm-hmm. it operates under what's called the waiver program. So it takes some of that money. Um, we're still working on the population we're going to continue to cover. But it runs that money through Insure Oklahoma. So we're talking about working adults, because here's the biggest difference. I mean, we're talking about finding ways to expand Insure Oklahoma for those who have a job to make it cheaper for Mm -hmm. them to have their insurance. That could be an Oklahoma plan we can get behind. And talk about a great area of compromise. Uh, uh, The the Democrats would prefer full-blown Obamacare Mm -hmm. and Medicaid expansion. And, And I understand that. That's what they would prefer. 
you've got an awful lot on the right that would that think uh, that think this type of spending is going to bankrupt the country and we're moving too far. And once we commit to that, you can't uncommit. So there's this interesting compromise in the middle. It's waiver language. You, you renew these waivers every five years where instead of focusing on able-bodied, non-working Oklahomans, we're, we're focusing on working Oklahomans. Hey, that may be an idea that, and especially now with President Trump and the White House and more likely to grant these waivers, it's an interesting Oklahoma solution. I, I don't know what's going to happen to it as it works through the process, but it's got some legs. Do you think there's a chance it could get done this year? I mean, you don't see that as like a just a, a dead issue like it's been in the past. I mean, no. you know this is a little different than full-blown expansion, obviously, but Ooh. like you said. But the reality is is that it would accept the Medicaid expansion dollars. So there would be an investment on Oklahoma's part of, without having the number in front of me, I think it's like 140, 140 million, about something 100, like that. Or something like that. It's over $100 million. It would expect the dollar, but it would, it would expand, it would accept them in a different manner. Than, than the way full-blown Medicaid expansion would do it. This is the first plan of its type mm-hmm. that has ever been out there. We've had rebalancing. You know, my problem with rebalancing is we were taking poor and disabled Oklahomans and literally taking them off the rolls in favor of able-bodied Oklahomans. I mean, this just wasn't a plan I could get behind. Full-blown Medicaid expansion where essentially in Oklahoma what that really means is non-working, able-bodied Oklahomans that's really hard to get behind. This plan, which still takes the federal dollars, brings mm-hmm. them in, but brings them in in a manner that, that makes more sense and is more palatable for all people, it's a really a unique plan. I mean, Senator McCourtney's done a great job. And like I said, Representative McIntyre has worked on this. Uh, if, if people would not be concerned who gets the political win, this can get done. But But that's an awful lot to ask in a political building. Yeah, <laughs> if if that makes sense. Is there the money for it though? I mean, Senator McCourtney said he didn't. Th- he didn't think. You know, he was asked this question in committee and said, "Well, I'm not so sure that we'll need new revenue for this." Um, and, and he explained that in some different ways. But it, I mean, it would take some money from the state. It takes 147 million dollars. Well, well yeah. yeah, and I, I think he said, "Well, I think we can maybe find that money through some savings, but it's going to have to be in the budget if it went through." Well, yeah, yeah. No, but but it wouldn't be in the budget till the following year. I mean, yeah. I think if this has legs. There's going to be – well, first off, it doesn't work that way because we're not taking expansion. So you don't get to just check the box and move on. We're authorizing a request for a waiver. Yeah. So you'd have to get, you still have to get permission. That's exactly yeah. right. So it's not money we would need in this year's budget. But it is $147 million we would need in next year's budget. Um, that's all the – and by the way, not a bad argument for Kevin Stitt, Governor Stitt, saying we need to save some money this year. I mean, the, all these pieces kind of all fit together. Yeah. Finally, as we've just got a couple minutes here left. I, I don't want to leave without touching on criminal justice reform, because I know it's a big issue for you. Huge issue. Uh, you know, you've got a bill that would make some of the state questions retroactive in terms of that resentencing. Actually, you've joined with a, a Democratic yep. colleague on this. Um, and, you know, now we're starting to hear, you know, some concerns from some, you know, parts of the community, the DAs and stuff like that. Where where does this stand right now? And uh, is how, how much has it slowed? Yeah. So l- let me make my stance on criminal justice reform crystal clear, summed up in one sentence. Number one on planet Earth and incarceration is not acceptable. We have to remember talking about how do I make deals? Mm -hmm. First, we have to figure out what the common ground is. I hope everyone listening, whether you're with the DAs or whether you're with the, the, you know, the most far left criminal justice reform group or the most far right criminal justice reform group, because they're on both sides. Number one on planet Earth and incarceration is not acceptable. It's economically not acceptable from a conservative fiscal standpoint. And from a, from a libertarian humanitarian standpoint, it's not acceptable. So what we're doing right now, I want and I do want to specifically mention Representative Jason Dunnington, the Democrat side, has been a leader on this issue. Um, uh, pro Tem Greg Treat, uh, Floor Leader Kim David, 
uh, Majority Whip Terry O'Donnell. These are all been leaders on this issue that are really moving this forward. Um, and now the governor's office is getting involved. So we're continuing to have meetings with uh, Jason Dunnington and myself and the criminal justice advocates and the DAs. We're now having meetings with the governor and the Senate. We are going to come up with a criminal justice reform package. What I hope happens is we come up with a bipartisan, bicameral criminal justice reform package that really moves the needle with the goal being not number one in incarceration. I think my retroactive 780 780 bill, and I say mine, mine and Jason Mm -hmm. Dunnington's, should be part of that package. I believe it's right. I believe the citizens voted for it. Citizens Citizens of Oklahoma have said that's what the punishment should be. That's what we should do. I'd fall off that position so long as it ends with Oklahoma should not be number one on planet Earth in incarceration. Um, I mean, other steps that have come out of that bill, what about a, uh, an expungement process? So we've got people that are in jail who are going to let out, or in prison who are going to let mm-hmm. out because of this. What about people who have already served their term and now have a felony on their record, which means they can't get a job, they can't get licensed? We need to have an easy expungement process so they can get that down to a misdemeanor. So when you go to a job application, you don't have to check yes, I have a felony record. I mean, that's a no. death knell. That, 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 that <laughs> Ant-Man made a whole movie about that yeah. uh, with yeah. ba- Baskin-Robbins. But, but I, I, think if w- I think there's going to be serious. I don't think it's slowed down. I think what has done, it's getting teed up. Now, I do need to say this because I've had several meetings with the DAs. I do see their point. They feel like every time criminal justice reform comes in, they're a punching bag. We elect the district attorneys to protect us from what goes bump in the night. They see things that luckily you and I don't have to see. They see things the very worst that society can do, Um, and they have to deal with that every day. I'm proud of our DAs. I think they do a good job. Um, And I think we are going to find a way to get them on board because when I do get them and ask them that simple question, should we be number one to a person, their answer is no. Of course we shouldn't be. They don't want to be either. So I'm trying to bring them in and say, help us be part of the solution. Help us. Let's not give you stuff you have to be no on. You know, it's the old salesman in me. Let's get to the yes. Let's get past the no. Man, I think we're going to do big stuff. I still feel good about it. And there's a series of bills, my expungement bill, my retroactivity bill, changing the way we do, changing the way we do probation and parole right now. 30% of the people in prison are on probation and parole. I can rattle off about 10 bills. Hey, if if we pass five of them but five that move the needle, I'll be ecstatic. Yeah, well, lots to track as we move here on the session and uh, would love to have you back. Uh, I'd love to. Get an update on how things are going. So, well, Representative Eccles, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me, Ben. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Political State Podcast. You can find this in every episode at newsok.com, your favorite podcasting app, also on YouTube. For the Oklahoma, for the Oklahoman, I'm Ben Felder. We'll see you next week.